Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the Association of Common Sense Masculinity is proud to present the exciting, the thought-provoking Can-Am Soup, an entertaining, genuine, and often meandering conversation between two friends. And now, the stars of our show, Jeremy Gertz and Todd Fuss. Hey, Todd, how's it going, brother? It's going, Jeremy. How about yourself? Oh, doing good. I, mean, I had a late night last night. I did. Uh, I did my prove up at the lodge. All right. Yeah. So I was good. You know, what's funny is I had. It's supposed to be me and three other guys doing it, and the three other guys never showed up. So it's just me. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? But no, it went good. I got it done, and feels nice to have it out of the way. How's your week been? Interesting. Yeah? Interesting. You know, it's kind of nice when you live out here in the middle of nowhere by yourself. And there's only, you know, one other inhabited domicile on your entire road. Mm -hmm. Um, Not including the cemetery, obviously. (laughs) But they are better neighbors um, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're... Did the show last Friday, had a cool Friday, then had a Saturday, and then that day went on to a sunset, and right before, I mean, like right at dusk, see a uh, Overton County Sheriff car vehicle go by, and then a SUV, and then I swear what looked like an Overton County pickup truck, but whatever, and then two other cars, so five Overton County Sheriff's vehicles. Rolling down the road, literally to nowhere. About an hour or so later, they all come back out. Then it's dark now, but, you know. Mm-hmm. For some reason, cop car taillights, you can always tell as a cop car. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, they all they all left, and we're like, what in the world? And I know they had to be down here. Uh, not for me, because they weren't here. You know, what are they down here for? Well, there's only... Two other options, literally. Either the <clears throat> migrant workers that work the the rock quarry down there or the neighbor. And I've always had a good sense for people, and boy, my spidey sense went off on this guy. And, you know, I talked to him once when he came to the house looking for uh, newborn piglet uh, milk. It was there a, su- a substitute that I knew of, and even oh, in wow. that conversation, that's about piglet milk. I'm like, this dude just ain't. There's something off about him. And then the yeah. next time I talked to him, some of his story about his past, like where he came from, why he's here, it it completely different. And I'm like, hmm. yeah, not so good, not so good. You know, and I told Danette, hey, you know, just be careful. You know, they seem kind of nice, but, you know, his story keeps changing. Mm-hmm. And she won't talk to me at all. She, like, looks at her hands in her lap. But she'll talk to Danette, and Danette's like, oh, yeah, she's kind of nice and blah, blah, blah. So come to find out, this guy is on the top ten most wanted list out of Coles County, Illinois. Oh, my. 
And I'm looking at the wanted poster right now. Uh, 46 years old, 5'11", 175 pounds, brown eyes, brown hair. Participation in the man- manufacturing of methamphetamine. Unlawful possession of stolen property and aggravated battery. That's what he's wanted for. Hmm. And he has a record of, in the same kind of general area of Illinois, he's known to have a disdain for law enforcement. So what does he do? I don't know. I'll trespass on the police chief's private property and start a meth lab. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he got arrested for that. Uh, He's been arrested for beating his wife. She's been arrested for theft, uh, identity theft, uh, lying to the cops about him. Uh, He's been arrested for one incident of five counts of assault. Oh, wow. Uh, And that was here locally. Uh, Don't know. He was arrested in, in the county next to us. But I don't know what that one was for. Uh, and then he's been arrested again here for uh, something involving violence and drugs. That's crazy. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it kind of makes you feel glad that he's gone now. <laughs> well, he started acting kind of not just, you know, what he was saying to me, but in his actions as well, because just up the street toward the the end of the road where you come in uh, onto Thompson Flats, they, uh, there's a semi-abandoned house there. Mm-hmm. And he's been, like, going up in the woods, parking behind the house, hiding his truck, and be out there for a couple hours at a time. Now that I know he was in the meth production, it kind of worries me. So I contacted the sheriff department and said, hey, you know, not just me, but three people have seen him do this. Hmm. So you might want to look in that house. And I'm if I don't you. hear from, you know, if I don't see him up there looking in it in about a week, I'm going to contact the property owner uh, mm-hmm. and, and try to exp- you know, explain to him what's been going on and can I get their permission Yeah, yeah. to go up in there and just look. Take some photos. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. As long as I have their permission in writing, I'll be, you know, golden in case there's something there. Because with my yeah. luck, I'll be there looking, and then the cops will show up. They're like, hey, what are you <laughs> doing with all that meth-producing <laughs> material? I'm like, oh, crap. Shoot. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. See, you know, at least like I, when I think about stuff like that, I'm like, the nice thing is in your situation, is that you've always got a gun on, right? Yeah. Canada, that stuff happens here and, and they've got guns for sure. But us poor folks, you know, we're not allowed to shoot. I don't, I don't think our pencils are allowed to be overly pointy because that's considered dangerous. No, that's crazy, man. Crazy. Oh, that's funny. That you mentioned that. I saw a cute meme about a Canadian pencil sharpener. What's that about? Well, you put your, you know, squared off brand new pencil in the pencil sharpener, uh, and it comes out completely rounded and blunt. No. Anyway. 
It's funny. Exactly, hey? Uh. Oh, man. Oh, so we got a... So, yeah, they're threatening snow for Monday of this week. And I was like, okay, your first snow of the year is usually a light dusting. No big deal. So I spent, like, Saturday mulching the rest of the leaves, did one final lawn mowing, and uh, started putting, like, patio furniture up in the barn. And I didn't really think about winter tires because I thought it wouldn't be much. And then it started snowing on Monday, and it's kind of just, like, it it felt like it was raining almost. You could barely see the flakes. And then all of a sudden around noon, the temperature just dropped. Like, all of a sudden just got, like, five six seven eight degrees colder in the celsius now we're in the freezing zone and then it really started coming down and man oh man the roads here were just terrible and uh my oldest was coming home from work and he had the uh, summer tires on and they're they're about done like we i went to put them on in the spring i just bought new tires for it not totally bald but really not a lot left going and uh he was doing 70 kilometers an hour. Speed limit's 110. Because he said he, he couldn't even get going from the lights. Couldn't even start getting any traction. And he said, all of a sudden, my car's just doing donuts down the highway. <laughs> and he, he went into the ditch. And so he calls. He's like, oh, I hit the ditch. You all right? Yep. Yeah. like, anything, you know, you're fine? Yep. Yeah. I was like, any damage? The vehicle's still running? Because I've hit the ditch before and snow gets up under the, the hood and it takes your fan belt off. And now you can't run your can't run your engine because your you know your pump your coolant pump's not running and that's that's what's scary like in the winter time being stranded wait for a tow it's fine but when your vehicle isn't running but no everything's fine and uh says okay and i had probably is like three eighths to half inch thick ice on the windshield of my truck like just solid and i'm like oh my goodness so i had to let my truck warm up probably for 20 minutes before you could even begin to start scraping it and then, you know, got my tow ropes and all that stuff loaded up. And then he called me. He ended up, there's a, and a crew of guys going in, uh, some native guys. And they're like, hey, you need a tow? And he's like, sure. And so they towed him out. But I was like, oh, what a great start to the, <laughs> to the week. But, uh, and it was funny because, like, where he land, where he hit the ditch, it, it wasn't a lot of snow. Like, we probably got, you know, about four to six inches. And... But he, and he said, the thing is, is that like he could drive forward and backwards all he wanted, but it was just so slippery. He couldn't even get up the slight embankment of the ditch. Like it wasn't even a steep ditch. He said, if there was no snow, I could have just driven out. No problem. But he just, he's like side hilling, you know? So these guys just put a tow rope on this, on the little hitch for towing a vehicle or whatever, and, and pulled him backwards up to a, a service crossing. You know, the police used to cross from one side of the highway to the other. Yeah. Just backed him up onto there, and then he carried on his merry way. So he got home that night. We had dinner, and then we went and put his winter tires on. But it's been crazy, man. And like the roads have been shut down here this week and places. And oh, like school buses hitting the ditch, semi trucks jackknifing. Uh, we have friends that live. She works downtown and lives in in the city. And she said usually in the worst rush hour traffic. It takes her 45 minutes to get home when things are really bad. And uh, she'd been on her way home for like two and a half hours and still wasn't out of the downtown core. She said the light would turn green and one vehicle might get through. 
or still because it was just like it was skating rink it was so bad it's crazy usually we get a little break into winter like not you know but that was just like a full-on it was ridiculous and then we're supposed to warm up again get above freezing and but yeah it's coming man i'm not i'm not really excited about it it's like I don't know, we've got about like six inches of snow everywhere, and I'm like, oh, man, so cold. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be below freezing here Tuesday and Wednesday nights. No kidding. Yeah. How many days in the winter do you get below freezing? Is it normal? Yeah. Huh. I always think, oh, Tennessee, Not you guys normal are. normal until maybe one or two, three, four, I don't know, uh, until Late January, early February. Hmm. February is always the coldest month here. But, hmm. Uh, and what worries me is they're, they, the meteorologists, uh, are all uh, saying, oh, it's be a mild winter. So I'm worried about that. Yeah, that's right. That's funny. Because they said it was going to be 65 degrees yesterday. It was 84. Oh, wow. That's not like a little bit of difference, you know? Yeah, yeah. Y'all retarded. Yeah. It's rhetorical. I know you are. Yeah. That's crazy. You know, they say the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Yeah. No, no, no. That's the second. The uh, greatest trick ever pulled was science of all kinds convincing uh, the rest of humanity that guessing is good enough. Yeah, that's right, hey? It's funny. Because I swear, when I lived up in Montana, they almost never got the weather wrong. Really? Yeah. Huh. Because even if they said, oh, it's going to snow today, they have a better than 50% chance. Regardless of the day, you know? Yeah, yeah. No kidding. And growing up, you know, the weather was always right, you know, within a couple of degrees or a couple of percentage points. Now it's just like, oh, you said it's going to be warm? Grab a coat. Yeah, yeah. I know it's hilarious. It's crazy how uh, how off they are. And I believe it, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this too because I've always been. I had a buddy of mine in the military that was a Air Force meteorologist, and he did it the old-fashioned way, with instruments out in the field, right, and charts and stuff. And he's like, "Oh," and he tried to explain some of it to me. A lot of it makes perfect sense. Uh, Science and math involved. Uh, But I am convinced, though, that the farther we go into the realm of using computer models instead of people's brains, Mm -hmm. the worse off we are with uh, weather forecasting. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And you know what's funny is that on, on Monday morning... There, we probably had, I don't know, 10 deer wandering around and they were like 
pillaging through what's left of our garden. Like I hadn't rotor tilled the garden yet, but we've harvested all the, the food from it. But we haven't seen deer like all summer long. Like we had this one little flop ear. This guy's got this weird thing on his ear and ate all our rose bushes. He was obnoxious. And then we didn't see him for a couple months, three, four months. But um, yeah, we just haven't seen deer. And I'm, I always wonder too, is like, are people just like poaching like crazy? Because there's so, there's so much crazy stuff that goes on out here. And then just like all of a sudden they came in and they were like, checking the garden and they'd kind of go back out and they'd come back to the garden. And I was like, these guys, they're it was just weird kind of. And then when I thought about it after, I was like, I bet they, they were getting ready for this snowfall coming, you know, like animals know what the weather's going to do. They, they, they can, they can get a sense. They know when to hunker down. They know when to, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, man, you know what? That's what, you know, like people talk about like wisdom of the woods or, that's what that is being able to recognize oh look at the animals they're all doing this that means this is going to happen soon and i'm I'm convinced that's a skill you can learn if you pay attention well of course because you know uh old old you know 200 years ago people knew how to do that uh native used to know how to do that well they knew how to do that mm-hmm. um yeah you know when you go to uh certain uh, survival schools and things like search and rescue, things like that. They teach you stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I, I've learned some of it, but if you don't practice it, you lose it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's crazy. Now, where me and a bunch of old timers diverge and go our separate ways is when they start talking about, oh, you cut a seed in half, and if it looked like a spoon, it's going to be a bat. Are you insane? <laughs> How much moonshine did you drink? Good yeah, Lord. Yeah, Because, you know, okay. at some point, somebody who actually knew, you know, how to read stuff, didn't want to really teach anybody because they wanted to be the village soothsayer for the weather. You know, because you charge you know, six chickens to the farmer to tell him what the winter's going to be like. Yeah. You don't want to give that information away on how you come up with it. So you come up with some bull crap about um, a persimmon seed. Really? Yeah, no kidding, hey? It's funny. Oh, man. So I got my... um, I was talking about those buffing special specialized buffing wheels. Yes, I got those, but I haven't put them in yet. And I went and picked up a, uh, a new eight-inch bench top buffer, a variable speed from Princess yeah. Auto. So I'm hoping. I was just finishing up some other projects. I haven't had a chance to even put those wheels on yet, but they look good. I'm excited. It's gonna change your life. You think so? Yes. Before I moved here up in Maryland, I bought. At one of the estate auctions, estate sales I went to, this guy had some really nice, like, 60, 70-year-old, well, no, 40 or 50-year-old craftsmen, uh, professional, heavy-duty bench grinders. Mm -hmm. And I completely restored them. And then on all of them, I have, uh, like, a 3M wheel on one side, a buffing wheel, 
uh, Scotch Bright, you know, of different grits, varieties, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, I've never, I, I want to get a Scotch Bright wheel. I've never had one of those before. And not not for knife making, but I'm like, just for general, like, you know, you you pull a bolt out and it's got a little surface rust on it. Just bip, zip. It'd be so handy to have. Well, that and they make, you know, the uh, surface conditioning or surface finishing polishers or grinders, the wheels that go on there, those Scotch-Brite wheels. Mm-hmm. They have those that are meant to put 240 grit, 120 hmm. grit, 360 lines in the surface of metal hmm. so if you have a uh steady enough hand which a knife maker would generally you can put <clears throat> uh lengthwise and not spine to uh cutting edge mm-hmm. lines in your blade if that's what you want mm-hmm. that'd be cool or you know whatever Mm-hmm. Whatever your thing is, I was using it to because uh, I had also from the same estate sale had a whole bunch of antique Stanley planes that I was restoring. So I was polishing up, you know the the different things, the different surfaces mm-hmm. on the plane. But yeah, then I found this one wheel. It's, it says it's a paint remover, but it's not. Mm. It's not nearly. I bet you the same. If you tried to convert it to a grit, it's well over 400. So it's not going to remove any kind of paint. Hmm. But I found that if you took something that has a antique patina on it, that's a brass surface, it will clean it, but it will not take that patina off. Hmm. It will leave it, uh, and it won't scratch it. I know, it looks so good. Hmm. That's cool. That's cool. And I was cleaning up the wooden handles on it, old uh, screwdrivers and things. Yep. That were from the late 1800s, early 1900s. They're the same design as the... uh, AVE's alleged uh, perfect screwdriver. That oh yeah, an, the antique restoration or hand tool hand rescue. To, hand tool rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. That's cool. Um, you know, speaking of like grinders and stuff, it's so funny because anytime you do like use a buffing wheel on YouTube. You always get a couple of comments. People are like, you should never use that. That's the most dangerous tool in a knife shop. And yeah, yeah, I I understand it. I mean, I've had things grabbed. I've had knives grabbed out of my hand several times. Even on video, I've put that into videos. But apparently there's this knife maker in Alaska, and that's how he was killed. I guess a knife ended up getting grabbed by a buffer, and somehow it stabbed him like in the heart and stuff. But you get that all the time. By the same time, not necessarily a buffing wheel, but grinders, you know, when you think about a a benchtop grinder, you know, if you have two or three and you, you know, you got your standards, you got a coarse stone and a finer stone. 
And then if you have one like with a wire wheel and then one, one with a scotch bright, that to me is such an incredibly versatile, you know, little work area. I, I think I think bench grinders are kind of underestimated in in a shop. And I like I grew up, you know, I mean, before when I was doing all my work in the shop, my apprenticeship and stuff. I mean, I don't even know if anybody had ever heard of a two by 72. Um, now that's pretty much a good replacement because it's so easy to change whatever abrasive style grit you want. Right. But, um, man, I, I always remember it's like every day we were always using the bench grinder for something and you just like, it was constantly being turned on and turned off and turned on and turned off. But I'd like to get a few more. I, I, I think I have one set up with actual grinding stones. But even for like, oh, I got to sharpen a drill bit real quick. Just so, so nice to have one just sitting there ready to go, you know. But just don't let people on YouTube see you use it. They'll freak out. Oh, YouTube people can just bite it. Yeah. I was <clears throat> watching one guy and he does, it's not unsafe it isn't but you you know the youtube safety experts would you know all get together and go to his house with pitchforks and torches thinking he's the worst thing in the world and he just didn't even comment about what he was doing hmm. he just looked at the camera and go i'm doing things the way i do things you do things the way you do things you do things the way i do things and you get hurt you're stupid Hmm. And that's all he ever said. Yeah. He said that kind of stopped about 98% of the uh, alleged safety trolls. Hmm. You know, don't do what I do. If you follow yeah. somebody on YouTube, and as an example, you're stupid. Yeah. Uh, do you ever, I don't do care you see who the... it is, but because most of YouTube isn't, it's entertainment. Yeah. And if yeah. and the minute you try to say I'm a professional and this is the way you do something, you're screwed. Yeah, because there's a worldwide true. audience. There's thousands of different jurisdictions with thousands of different rules, so you can't say, you know. Yeah, like a guy building a house in the woods, and he's like, "Hey, this is the way I can do it where I'm from. In my state, my county, my city, and my rural." Uh, area, yeah, probably the only place in the country you're able to do it this way. So just shut up. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Hey. Oh, and then all yeah. you're doing is, you know, you get you're clogging up the local government with calls from people from Timbuktu saying, "Oh, there's a guy on YouTube that's breaking the law." And you know, really, what law? You know, so now instead of trying to look for people who are really doing it wrong uh, and contractors that are ripping people off, they're dealing with idiots from Timbuktu calling because you saw a video on YouTube. Oh, by the way, that was filmed a year ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah, it's you never funny. see anybody on any, any video has anything to do with digging in the dirt, in the wild, right? You never see any of that. They've 
Have you ever seen them find anything cool? No. You know why? Not on video. And if it was, they deleted it. Yeah. No one's ever found a body. No one's ever found gold. Um, there's one channel that'll show you every time they find a spoon because that's an inside joke. <laughs> and Chris will tell you every time he finds a, a an old balloon. Hmm. Again, because it's a joke. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. You know, there's even like things on YouTube, like I'm always like, okay, shit. Like if I ever am outside and I film in an accident, like a license plate of our vehicle gets shown. I'm always like, oh, I can't, I can't do that. You know, that's dangerous, but I don't think it is. It can't be. You know why? The same person that sees that license plate on YouTube can walk by it at the mall. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now, there are some people that hide their own, like you hiding yours, because there are some people that can find out from that information exactly where you live. Yeah. And there are pe- unsavory people out there. Yeah, yeah. You know, like the guy that, Went and literally put up a tent in Dirt Perfect's front yard. Really? Oh, wow. Yes. If you want to catch a bullet, just to come knock on the door. You know, tell me, yeah. hey, can you, I'm here for a suicide. Can you, do, can you help me out? Yeah, no kidding. Yes, <laughs> yes I can. Huh. That's crazy. Um, even uh, I was listening to a podcast uh work for it no no not work for it making it with bob claggett jimmy deresta and them and i guess bob was out of town he's at some like workbench con or something like that and his wife called him and he's like yeah and he's like so there's a some so-and-so here and he's like what do you mean he goes well he, he said he's a fan of yours he, he's wondering like he just wanted to say hi and he's like okay close the door and lock it right now and uh, like this guy literally found out and he says, I don't know how they found out where I live. Like, I don't throw that out there. I'm quite, you know, I obviously look after that stuff. And uh, yeah, he just came and knocked on the door and said, hey, I'd, come, I'd just like to meet you and say hi and hang out for a bit. And like, could you imagine that? Especially like he said, he freaked out because he was out of town. So he had some of his friends go over to the house and the guy had left. And his wife said the guy had just came and he said, oh, okay. And then he was just got into his vehicle, drove away. But that's kind of creepy, you know? Yeah. Like, ugh. It's like, I, I don't know you. Who who are you? You know? Um, And even in... Well, like, so there's... Like, the gate that we have now, it's quite uh, distinguishable. It, it, you can tell. It's not... A lot of times if people are like, you know, if they're buying something from me or something like that, and they're like, where do you live? And I'll, I'll send them a pin. I'll be like, don't use a Google because they'll take you to a diff- completely different part of this highway. And then they're like, okay, well, how far down is it? And I'll just tell them, say, it's this far down. And you look at this and, oh, yeah, I know that place. And then they, they showed up in one of my videos once. And then a guy that would, drives by, and I, I've actually met this person, this guy in person. But he's like, oh, I know exactly where you are now. I drive, I go to work there every single day. And then some, I'll be outside and I hear honking and it's like, oh, it's either that or my brother from the lodge who drives by all the time too. But you know, if I'm outside at a certain time of day, the car, there's a car going by that honks and I'm pretty sure that's the guy that, that I know from YouTube. He found me from watching my videos and it's, I don't know. It's just, it's fine. He's a nice guy. got nothing, no, nothing against it, but it's also kind of like, man, I, I'm a little bit more cognizant not to necessarily show off the features of the front gate. 
you know, not that it's like overly gorgeous or anything, but it's very distinguishable and it's like, and, and memorable. I think a lot of people see it like often we get people that will pull in there. <laughs> There'll be a whole bunch of motorbikers pull in there, stop, get off their bikes, take a picture and then leave. Cause it's like a, a thing, I guess people know about it, but man, it's just kind of crazy. Oh, yeah. kind of how the stuff I, all works. I was watching a, a, a relatively new channel that we watch. Danette doesn't mind watching this this guy. So anyway, um, he hides all of his license plates, his address, everything. Right. Mm-hmm. He's filming himself going down the street to his new property, and he shows the business right across the street. Yeah. Well, well, you know, everything you've hidden is gone to the wayside now. Yeah. I mean, that's just I, silly. Yeah. And he's had problems. Oh, really? He's got problems with um, some crazy people. And it's not a big shocker because it's in the, in a particular area in North Carolina. And I'm like, yeah, there's a bunch of nut jobs, you know, just like here. But. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, I even had one time um, I was doing an EDC video. And so I said, okay, this is my EDC. I just laid it down. And I had keys. And I think some of them were house keys. And people were like, don't ever show your keys on the on YouTube. People can take a screenshot, print it off, and make a copy. And I'm like, yes, in theory, you could. But really? Like, like... It's, you know how much easier it is just to take a sledgehammer and just knock the, the handle off? Like, if I'm going to go through that much work to break into somebody's house because I saw their keys on YouTube, I mean, I get it. It's a nice, neat way to do it. But, and also, I mean, as one person who makes things, you know what? I've, I've had keys cut before and I stack one on top of the other, look virtually identical go to use one, one doesn't work, and then on really close inspection, oh, yes, this you can tell this part's a little bit out, and it didn't cut off quite enough here. I honestly don't know that you could really, truly, uh, you know, from a screenshot, make a key and just walk up to a house and, and have it work. Like, I Unless think that's... Unless you're a professional, probably not. But if you are a professional, like a locksmith, with years of experience, you could do it. And then almost anybody could do it if you saw, if you have a key... That has the uh, the cut numbers on one side of the key. If there's five numbers on it, those are the cut numbers, uh, that, and that tells you exactly how deep the cut is of mm. each notch. So, okay. And all you need and is they... a little key cutting machine because those are the five numbers you need. You put it in, blah blah blah, blah, blah and you're done. Do they, I've never, I haven't seen keys that have numbers on them. Cause to me, that seems absolute. like, I understand it for generally not like homeowner keys. Those would be like apartment keys. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, business key, things like that. Yeah, yeah. But there are some high end locks that have them as well. Hmm. Security key locks, things like that. Yeah. Um, I have well, two I... that have them because they're both security locks. Hmm. But, and even as such, like, it is so much easier just to pick the lock. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I remember I kind of got into lock picking. I remember there's this guy on Instagram. This was, like, before Instagram was, like, Instagram. 
um, Steph and I were actually beta testers of Instagram when it came out. We had a beta account. Ooh. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm like an OG. Uh, and then, I mean, I don't, I think at that point in time, there wasn't even a sharing feature to it. It was literally a photo editor. Um, and then all of a sudden they said, hey, now you can actually, other people can see your photos if you want to. And then it was so we, like we've seen this whole thing grow and it's kind of interesting. But I remember when it was kind of like, oh, wow, you can actually uh, or maybe. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was a platform. Um, either that or a Tumblr or something. I forget. But there was this blog is kind of this account and this red, red team ops. And he was an ex-military like special forces guy. And companies hired him and he'd just show them where their problems were, right? Where their security breaches were physically, uh, electronically. And, you know, he these companies would hire him, these big, huge companies. And they'd be like, I, you know, I guarantee you can't get into our, our network system. And he's like, give me one day. Boom, he's in. But um, And sometimes he would physically go in, like he would get a, wear a fake FedEx uniform, uh, pretend to be delivering a box, get inside a couple couple locked doors. Next thing you know, he's in the computer room and he has time to do stuff uh, if he can't get in like from a network outside of the property. But And he always had these, he always showed some of the interesting tools that he used for lock picking and it really got me into lock picking. And then you kind of go down that rabbit hole and you find out there's like this whole community, uh, there's like meetups and it's a really fun hobby, you know? And so I uh got some some keys some wrenches and looked into it and in alberta legally i can own lock picking tools but i'm not allowed to carry them like like i can have them at home i can you know do hobby lock picking practice but i have to get a special permit if i want to be able to carry them on my person but i kind of got into it and you know i'd go and they, everybody says you know what don't practice on your house door because you're going to end up breaking something inside. You'll, you know, you'll break your little key off in there, your torsion bar. And, but I did it anyways. And I was just blown away how easy it was to unlock most, most doors that people have on their homes, unless they've taken the step like, actually, you know what? I want to, I want to spend a little extra money, get something a little bit better. It is the, it's kind of like, uh, the TSA at the airport. It's the theatrics of safety. It's like the TSA doesn't do anything. Like, give your head a shake. Your door, your lock, and your your it keeps an honest person out. But if you know, if, if I've got a lock pit, I could get I can open your door in twenty seconds, and it's not going to involve smashing glass, knocking down a handle. I'll I'll silently just open up your door, and I don't have a key for it. You know, so people tell me, oh, don't show your keys. I'm like, dude, somebody wants to unlock my door. They just have to practice for twenty minutes with a with a little torch and wrench and a little key, you know, but yeah, you ever try Other lock than, picking? Um, the theatrics of safety. I could tell folks, um, why the TSA was, became what it is and no one would believe it, but well, why is it? I know it was because I was there in huh. DHS at the time. Uh, and anyway, hmm. it has nothing to do with TSA other than they're a tool. Hmm. Can you say 
on this podcast what it is? other law enforcement agencies to be able to do uh, unsavory stuff to the public um, without having to do their job first. Huh. Interesting. That makes sense. Yeah, it's uh, funny because... You know, let's say, for instance, the DEA can't just say, you look shady, come here. Mm-hmm. They just can't do it. They don't have that yeah. authority. Guess who does? Yeah, yeah. TSA. Interesting, yeah. They can search anybody, anytime, for anything. Or for nothing. Really? Like, like even outside of... Like, like within an airport? Yeah, well, within their jurisdiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... That's true, eh? And there's a... British YouTuber I'm not familiar with, but he's traveled um, all over the United States here recently. Uh, and he just came unglued on the sheer stupidity of the TSA. Hmm. And I was rolling on the floor laughing. Because hmm. there's nothing he said that wasn't absolutely 100,000% true. Yeah. You know, just... How does anything that they do make you safer in the grand scheme yeah. of things? Yeah. It, and, okay, the United States has a stupid TSA process in the airports and train stations and everywhere else that travel is involved. All right. Europe doesn't. All right. How many shoe bombs does Europe have? Mm-hmm. You know, how many of this? How many of that? Well, None. Yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, on September 11th, I mean, I was working at an airport in uh, Eagle, Colorado, and worked in airports for pretty much, like, the next five years straight. And so got to see all the implementation, maybe six. Actually, in the airport industry, like actively every day show up to an airport, put in baggage systems, probably about like four or five years after September 11th. And then beyond that, once we were doing all this development for the EDS systems, the explosive detection systems, um, working with a consultant called Battelle and developing the protocols. And this, they were like, they were construction documents. They were not highly sensitive, but they were sensitive, right? Like we had to do some stuff before we could see them. And, you know, the stuff was not, not stuff that the public was allowed now allowed to know about. And so it's just interesting seeing what their game plan was, that their thought process was. And when you see it on that level and you get into it, it's like, oh, okay, so they are doing some things. We are going to screen some bags, but in worst case scenario situations, like what's going to happen? Well, business as usual, <laughs> like they can't afford to just be like, oh, we're going to we're going to make sure that there's absolutely nothing going on here. They, they can't afford that because that's in order to do that, that could be hundreds, maybe thousands of passengers that don't get baggage, that the airlines are responsible, you know, to look after them in some level. And it's just interesting to see the way they implement all these things. And it's yeah, it's the public sees it and like, oh, this is good. They're, wow. There's no way to get anything dangerous onto an airplane because they're looking into it. I'm like, yeah, they're making it look like they're looking into it, but yeah, it's well, they're looking, but not for what you think because what you think they're looking for is incredibly difficult. Yeah. Um, Well, actually, and they can they sure 
And sure. I've heard Absolutely. one. Do you know one of the things that the the TSA and the airport inspections finds? The number one thing they help get rid of. Well, this was again, I got about ten years ago. I mean, I have worked in the business for a long time, but at the time, it was uh, child pornography. That was the number one thing that they would help find and remove, and then charge people with. And I'm all for that, but that's not their job. That wasn't why they're there. They're there yeah. for other things. Yeah. Why aren't the people who are charged with finding and stopping child pornographers finding and stopping them? Yeah. No, I'm just yeah. saying. No, I, I agree. Cut their head off. Like just. Psh. Sorry, you lost it. If you're going to do this to a child, you are no longer worthy to breathe oxygen. And people are so quick to. Well, you know, it. They're so hard to come by, be, you know, and catch because there's so few of them. Wrong. Yeah. You know why it's so difficult to stop drugs? Because there's so many of them. Yeah. There's so many users. There's so many customers. Um, everything that's hard to stop is because there's too much trafficking going on. Hmm. Just throwing that out there. And right now, it is so difficult to catch human traffickers and child pornographers. You know? Doesn't give me a lot of hope for humanity, which no, I've never had, sure. so that's nothing new. Yeah. Yep, yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, and then um, one last thought on, I've, we know where they got the name in TSA from, because I remember I went from... Colorado to Las Vegas. We had a big job going there. And this was, you know, a couple weeks, couple months after September 11th when you actually started to see the TSA in uniform at the airport. And I remember the first day in Las Vegas when they were brought in. And, like, all of a sudden there was, like, hundreds and hundreds of these people in these uniforms. Like, everywhere and they're all having their main meeting in the main like lobby area whatever and uh so we figured it must the name must have come from thousands standing around because all these people were standing around and all of a sudden they had jobs as these tsa agents (laughs) and you know because they had such quickly uptake of staff they got all the unemployed losers right it's like i'm not doing anything hired it's not like anybody who had a good paying job put on a TSA uniform. And it was, especially in the beginning, man, oh, there were some some scrubby people, dude. Like, I'm like, seriously, they gave you some, like a uniform. <laughs> well, I yeah, but I can't find my sandwich anywhere. <laughs> well, I had three former TSA folks working for me at ICE, and they were all overly odd in one way or another. Hmm. I'm serious. One was like, uh, <laughs> uh, a horrible prepper conspiracy theorist guy that, you know, just saw the CIA behind everything. You know, hmm. the price of gas goes up on his way home. CIA. <laughs> yeah. um, he buys bread and the next day it's molded. CIA. <laughs> uh, I like people like that. <laughs> you can have a lot of fun with them. 
That's crazy. See, people like that is the people I would like to have a key to their house. Go in there in the middle of the night, rearrange furniture. Yeah. Don't do anything hard. You know, don't steal anything. Don't break anything. Do something different. You know, like uh, take a glass out of the counter, pour a glass of orange juice, and leave it on the counter. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Mess with their mind. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. Oh, yes. <clears throat> oh, so, man. I yeah. uh, watching your video about the textured handled knife. Mm-hmm. My hands were shaking to keep me off of uh, homesteadknives.com. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which... If anybody's listening, a beautiful knife. Beat it's me. Old. Go buy it now. No, it's uh Please. it's sold. Ah. Oh. It's sold like about twenty minutes after the video went up. It's going to Sweden. Oh. Yeah. It is man, that that is the the pointiest sliver I've made yet. Um like it's got spring to it, like I can bend it and stuff, but it's it. Yeah, it's not something that I'd be like, okay, just go beat on this blade. Because uh, the grind goes up fairly high. And then, I don't know, man, it's just for like the last inch, if you're looking down along the spine, the last inch, it's so thin. And it was, I think sharpening that knife took me about three minutes to put an edge. Because I actually, when I was making it, I actually ended up grinding the whole thing evenly to zero. And... uh and so it was actually like off of the grinder, it had a burr. And I'm like, okay, this is getting too thin. I still want to tumble it and stuff. So I ended up actually putting the edge on the grinder and grinding it back. And so it was about three or four thousandths of an inch thick at the edge before I sharpened it. Even I was showing it to Foster, uh, my youngest, and he loved, he's a knife fanatic, that kid. But he's like, did you sharpen it already? I'm like, no. He goes, well, it feels sharp. I said, yeah, it's almost, I said, it's just really thin. It's just ground really thin, but. Yeah, it's a it it'd be a, a great little uh, kitchen knife. Um, I had a comment. I I deleted it, but he's like, I don't know why. When he how do you word it? I don't know why anybody. Everybody's beating around the bush. Somebody needs to tell the truth. This is designed for one thing and one thing open oh only, and that's for cutting up people. <laughs> I'm like, whoa! I'm not gonna let that comment hang around here. Um, well, but it is I, cut somebody up, but you can. Poke them. Um, put in a few leaks. <laughs> you can poke them. <laughs> I should just call it the shiv. <laughs> the, the precision shiv. <laughs> but, uh, hokey pokey. <laughs> that's right. But yeah, I know that, that texture is pretty cool. Like, it's, uh, yeah, I guess you watch the video. It's, it's cool. Like, I've done sandblasted before and then left it, but it's almost too coarse. Like, in a way, it sort of almost has a dryness to the texture, if that makes sense. But you put it in the little tumbler with, with some little ceramic cylinders, and it it just smooths it out enough that it's like, this thing isn't going anywhere. Like, there's some grip, but yet, it, if you just lightly rub it, it's like, ooh, that's nice and smooth. You know, it's, it's, it's a nice balance that I was going for. I was hoping to, 
it would work and it did so it was cool and i've got another one of those slivers that i don't know what i'm doing for scales um i've got some really nice uh have you heard of gl hansen's micarta no so gl hansen you look them up on uh instagram they have they have this stuff called g carta and it's like uh they'll take colored rags and so I, I end up buying this set and it's like all red white and blue and they you know put epoxy resin whatever and then put they've got these special hydraulic presses they've made and it cures under pressure and so you just get these really cool patterns and i've got this really neat set of uh scales and it's like red white and blue rags and then I happen to have red, white, and blue pins that are the right thickness. But the only bummer is I ended up putting, on those slivers, I put four holes in them. And I w if I had three, it'd be better because then I could just have a red pin, a white pin, and a blue pin. But now if I have to have two of those colors, what do you do? You know, do it, I don't know. Maybe blue, but I don't know if that's what I'm going to use. I just got to figure out what I want for scales on that one and then uh, have that sucker ready. Actually, got a whole bunch of knives that are lingering at about the 80% stage. It'll be nice to get those done. But I can't wait to get these uh, these buffers figured out. And like you say, like I'm not a huge fan of of mirror polish on blades. Like it, It's not something that I'm like, oh, yes, I, I want to work towards that. I get requests for it every now and then. But now more when I'm trying to learn about how to etch, especially like Damascus deals, you know, the, the better surface finish you can get, the more incredible your etch is going to be. So now I'm like, okay, now I've got a reason to try and work towards a near mirror polish on my knife. So apparently these little buffering wheels with the little rouges that they are designed to work with, it's just a matter of a couple minutes and you're there. So it'd be good to get that set up. But yeah, I got that and I want to do a video on my moen blade grinding fixture and that thing is such a champ oh like i i bought it because i was like i've always been curious and like I, I need to figure it out like if it's but there's some days when i'm just like i can't i'm not into it like i just can't do a freehand grind you know it's just every time i go for another pass it's just not quite right and so i end up putting it in some type of a jig and i thought this would be ideal because i think Virtually any knife that I make will fit into this thing. Doesn't matter how long it is. And then, so I kind of bought it for that, thinking it'd be my backup. That those days when I'm just not feeling the freehand grinds, I can just grab this thing out. Uh, but after using it, <clears throat> I mean, it, it's so fast. I love the fact that I don't burn my fingers every time I grind a knife because that's what always happens. I it feels like I cook the meat inside of my fingertips. Because you're grinding and the blade's getting hot and it's like, okay, just a little bit longer so I can finish this pass evenly. You know, I don't want to stop three quarters down a grind on a bevel. And then by the time you get to the end of the blade, ah, it's like your fingers are burning. And often I'll dip my finger before I dip the blade, <laughs> you know. This thing is so nice. Just grind away, grind away. I, If I had known it was this good, I would have bought it a long time ago and I would have paid the full price. Like I got it on a decent sale. But man, oh man, that thing's honestly, I think that thing, if you if you've never ground a knife before, but if you've got some decent hand control and steady hands of some sort, you know, if you do any type of a woodcraft or even if you sew, 
you know, you understand how to use your hands. I guarantee you could, your first blade coming off this thing would be impressive. It is, it is amazing. But uh, I figured after having used it for a bit, I'd probably do a video about that. Let's see. Something I've been wondering for a while now. <clears throat> you knife maker, tool maker, anybody that uses you know, two by 72 to remove metal from metal, you know, has to find a way to keep that cool. And I know that, you know, there's the dipping bucket method. There's the, some of these that have, uh, like a mister, but it's integral to the like platen or the belt. Right. Really? Yeah. Um, Liam Hoffman's grinder way back when had one. Hmm. It was integral to the grinder itself. But I was thinking, why don't why didn't anybody use these cool mist misters with just water? Did you? Oh, I've never seen it. Yeah. Uh I had I I had one probably two years ago. Two and a half years ago. And uh I think I used it in one of my videos. The one thing I found the the one of the places I really wanted it was for the initial grinding when you're really hogging off material. And the ceramic belts that I used, for some reason, when I had a misting system, so yeah, it's kind of like those ones where you have, you run compressed air and there's like a little siphon yeah. tube. Yeah. And then those little blue flexible things. Um, I just bought it on Amazon and made like kind of bolted a magnet to it and stuck it on the side there. But the ceramic belts I was using, they loaded up when I sprayed them. I mean, it was nice because you could literally just sit there and just as hard as you wanted and that that metal stayed cool. But after like a minute, the belt itself, and I don't know if it was the brand or, I, I remember trying a couple things and I was just like, whatever, I put it aside and actually when we moved to this shop, I got it out again and for some reason something happened in it. It had like a little, you know like those really porous bronze filters? Yes. Yeah, it had one of those on the end of it to to keep stuff out, but it must have been like some minerals in the water clogged it up inside because it just doesn't work now. But uh, Brian House sells those as a kit. And I'm thinking about maybe getting getting another one. A lot of guys use them in sharpening. If you're going to sharpen on your 2x72, that way you can completely avoid the possibility of, of ruining the temper as you're sharpening. And that kind of makes sense. But yeah, if I could get that to... Like, uh, maybe I should look into it again because it would be worth it. Um, you know, it would speed up the process and just being able to just work. And, you know, if you could stay in one place a little longer, sometimes, you know, if you're grinding to your line and you want to, I always work in passes, like start here and one pass, start here, one pass. Um, part of that is to keep things even, but a bigger part, the number one reason is so I don't build up too much heat in a single spot. You know, whereas if you could, if you had keep that blade cool and you could just focus and then all that. Yeah, I should probably look at that again. Especially now considering I've got this jig that's so precise. Like I could just, <laughs> it'd be cool if you could grind an entire bevel, roughen a whole bevel without leaving the belt. That would be amazing. Yep. Yeah. You know, that'd be cool. I'd never seen an integrated one though. 
Yeah, but it kind of makes sense. Um, well, like the way the Japanese grind it, they've got those huge wheels, like those stones, and they run in a water bath. And so they're just throwing water and sparks like crazy, you know? Yeah, I think that integrated one, if I remember correctly, is part of the flatten. Oh, okay. And it would just, it would saturate the belt, hmm. which in turn would keep it cool. Right? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, because, um, I mean, you can make, it makes a big mess, but, it, and, but if you kind of look at it, it's like, okay, you just make sure, like, if it's drywall, put something behind it, put a piece of sheet metal, because you don't want to be throwing water constantly at, at drywall, whatever, but you just kind of plan on it and say, hey, you know what? And even if you had to get, like, like a meat cutters, like, or a plastic rubber apron or something like that, you know, put goggles on and just say, hey, I'm going to spray water. Man, you could just crank out, be like, today we're doing these 20 blades and just, zoop, 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 you know, when you're done, there's water all over the floor, give it a quick little mop, whatever. I think it would be worth it, though. And, uh, I mean, in a certain sense, keep it a lot cleaner than having all the metal dust floating everywhere and settling down. But I'm pretty bad for not cleaning up, not sweeping my grinding room. And uh, I think it's actually, you know, when I think about it, it's pretty dangerous because sometimes I'll be grinding <clears throat> and there'll be like a little bit of metal dust built up on the side of the grinding bucket. And then all of a sudden you see this glowing and that stuff's getting red hot as you're throwing sparks into it. And, uh, you know, that's a, the the thing they say is you got to make sure is if you have a partially finished garage where you have, say, a gap between the concrete floor and your drywall, or something like that. I've heard of guys. I had one guy tell me he had a fire start inside his wall because he never cleaned up his grinding dust. And it was built up and clinging to every surface. Had a couple sparks and it actually ended up traveling into his, between the drywall and uh, his floor. Just started some of the studs inside his wall on fire. But who knows? Also could just be like, don't use a bench grinder because then you'll die instantly. Oh man, got any plans this coming week or weekend? Yes. What you got going on? Might be going to um, town a little bit later to get uh, lobster rolls or something. There's a food truck company, yeah. a guy that owns multiple food trucks. One one of his bases is in Nashville and the other's in Knoxville. The Knoxville, they all, they both travel, have food trucks that travel and he specializes in Maine Lobster, right? So it's a Maine mm-hmm. Lobster truck. The one from Knoxville is going to be in Cookville today. Uh, and Danette wants to try a lobster roll. What's a lobster roll? Um, chopped, chilled lobster meat, main lobster meat on a hoagie bun. Oh, with, with that nasty, gross mayonnaise. <laughs> Maya, that's a good stuff, eh? No, it's not. I don't, mayonnaise. Why would, why would you buy hundred dollars worth of lobster and then ruin it? Mayonnaise is living proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. That's actually <laughs> not true. 
The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing people mayonnaise was good. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yep. No, oh, that's cool. So, do you like these lobster rolls, even though they have mayonnaise? Or you just—I've never had. I, I get it without. Okay. But uh, there's also something called a Connecticut roll that mm-hmm. is warm with butter. Ooh, now you're talking. Now, that sounds a lot more appetizing to me. Yep. And then they have lobster tacos. It's taco, uh, flour tortilla, lobster, uh, pico de gallo. Uh, it just sounds good. Yeah. That's what I'm probably going to try, or lobster tacos. That's cool. Because fish tacos are just wrong. So. Oh, I love fish tacos. Again, so good. Again, why? Dip, <laughs> dip them in mayonnaise. <laughs> no, I'm a big, I'm a fish taco fan. It was funny as um, there's this one oh, this guy I follow on Instagram, Stagecoach Farm and Forge, and uh, he's in Washington State somewhere. Uh, blacksmith. He makes what he makes a lot of is. Uh, pans like cooking pans out of steel a very interesting follow like he's got this farm grows tons of food uh, lives kind of a rustic life kind of half like boho or kind of half almost I don't know he's like a fully tattooed guy but you know not like a millennial or something like that he's a hard-working dude he's got a lot of skills as blacksmith um but he was at this uh some demonstration he was doing and then there was like a like a kind of tool swap meter a tool exchange thing went to that in this town and then he was visiting one of his friends who's got a blacksmith shop in his garage and while he was waiting for his friend uh to get to be ready he went to this place and got tacos and he says you know one thing i hate he did this on his story he goes i hate these white people tacos (laughs) and he's I'm like, dude, you're white as can be. But he's like, you know, you get these stupid tacos. Have you ever seen tacos coming in with those little stainless steel accordion trays? He goes, you should you should be, you know, get your guard up a little bit. You're probably just getting white person tacos. It's like 10 bucks for four tacos with like one spoonful of filling in them. And then they fill out the rest with cabbage. She goes, you got to give me a break. He said, for the money I paid for this, I should have some real tacos. But. It's funny, he goes, I'm so sick of this trend with white people tacos. <laughs> and it's kind of true. There's some places in Calgary we've gone, and they're delicious. But it's like this this entire taco fits in my my hand. Like when it's open, it, this isn't okay. Like I, I need more. But, oh, I love tacos. Oh, yeah. Yes, tacos. That is Proof that God loves us. <laughs> nope. Talk. You can't. You can't steal that. I just used it. <laughs> but the. Uh, I mean, I mean, there's more than one reason. <laughs> yeah. You know, one living proof that God loves us. I mean, come on. Yeah. I got that saying. There's a place outside of Phoenix called Santan Flats, or the Santan Valley, or something like that. And this restaurant called Santan Flats. And it is cool, man. Like, it's kind of like a courtyard style restaurant. And so you kind of walk in the front doors and there's like restaurant seating. And then it's it's crazy. Like, they'll have live bands there. I, I would say this place when it's fully, it kind of reminds me of the Columbia restaurant in Weebor City, Florida. 
Um, in I, I bet you could see five, six hundred people, and there's like an outdoor bar. There's outdoor seating. Uh, they'll have you can rent the whole thing for huge weddings and stuff. But the uh, one of the T-shirts they sell there is "Beer's living proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy." <laughs> That's pretty cool. It's cool. If you're ever in Phoenix, you should go there. The food is unbelievable. And the atmosphere is crazy. I guess they used to have like dance. And this place has been here for, I don't know, maybe 50, 100 years. Like it's got a lot of history. Kind of like very Western kind of styled. And uh, I guess, I don't know when, is the 50s or something. They used to have these big dances there. And uh, the neighbors complained, like the farmers around there complained. Not that this restaurant's close to anything. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere. But uh and I guess they got some type of a ordinance or something saying they weren't allowed to dance after eight o'clock at night. And then they people were getting upset because they were going there and nobody could have a good time. And they said, you know what, we're going to dance anyways. And so they had this big, you know, get out the field and just have a big social dance. And they kept doing it. And I think some happened where they ended up blocking the doors and wouldn't let law enforcement in. <laughs> and they just, and anyways, they kept protesting it. They got shut down and then they dance again, shut down. And finally, they got this ordinance changed or whatever. So they're allowed to do these dances again. Turned into a big thing, but it's a pretty cool restaurant. Santan Flats. Yeah, it's a good, good place to go. Phoenix has a lot of good restaurants, man. I guess any, any major, like you get a big, huge population like that, you're going to get a lot of great options. You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And if you get, while they're, they bring a lot of problems as well, when you get a large community that has uh, a lot of diversity, you'll have a lot of culinary delights. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I, th- I think most places, like Calgary's got so many good little places too. And I really... Steph and I have really been enjoying like nicer breakfast joints lately. And it's funny, you, you start talking to people about it, you know, our friends, and, and then they'll be like, oh, you try this place, try this place. And then we'll give them recommendations. And all next thing you know, we're building this list. It's like, I had no, no idea there's so many really great breakfast joints. I'm talking like kind of higher end bougie breakfast places, like, you know, stuff where it's like some, you know, you're, your eggs are fried in duck fat and this and that, like really kind of fancier breakfast, but so good. But the one thing that we don't have, and I wish we did, and I know it kind of varies from place to place, but the Waffle House, man, for like a greasy spoon breakfast, I love the Waffle House. And we don't, we don't have anything like that here, it seems. You like Waffle House? Yeah. You know, you should you, open you, one. What's that? You should open one. I should. I don't know. I don't think they have a single one in Canada, though. I mean, not just something called Waffle House, but a restaurant. Yeah. That's the Waffle House without the name Waffle House. Yeah. Do you know what that would be? One of my dream jobs would be a restaurateur of any kind. Like, if it, even if it was like a breakfast joint. But, um, I, I, I mean, I don't know anybody that's done it. But looking into it and what I see, it's like, my goodness. It could be all You're, white and plain, and you could just say simple little breakfast. There you go. That's right. You know, there's been so many little tiny startup restaurants in Strathmore. And every now and then, 
the person that starts them actually has really good recipes. They cook well. And you go there, it's like, this is actually really good food. But then the atmosphere isn't there. Or maybe it's just the fact that the town doesn't have quite the population to sustain. You know, because in my mind, if you've got a successful restaurant, most every single one of them should be at capacity all the time. Like, that that's how I see it, you know, like, especially if you only have like 15 tables, like it's a smaller place, you need that place booked up. And, you know, some of these places will go to, it's like, oh, this was really good food. And it's like, but there's only three other people in there when we were there. And it's like, oh man, I don't know. I, I kind of look at that as probably one of the most challenging businesses to succeed in is to start your own restaurant. Your hours got to be crazy, right? You know, one bad experience and the person's never coming back. I don't know. I just, and I don't know. I would love to do it. It'd be like a dream job, but I'm also like, there's no way on earth I would ever try that. This seems like it'd be a awful lot of work. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a uh, lot of work for not a lot of. Yeah, that's true. You know, return on your investment most of the time. Yeah. Um, you know, cause I was, uh, this was a while ago. I was talking to a chef that used to have his own business, and he had a small, you know, quiet, very upscale, five star, five Michelin star restaurant in like an area adjacent to Napa Valley. Mm. And he's like, I, I had, uh, the problem is, you know, it, you, yeah, you have all your reservations filled up for a year in advance, um, this, that, and the other, but you'll never make any money. Because hmm. you can't charge what you're worth, what it costs you. Then, you know, incredibly famous people start coming there. Then they want it free just because they're going there. They're going to bring people in. Yeah. That's crazy, hey? He was saying, uh, and this was late 90s, early 2000s, and he threw um, Jack Nicholson out of his place. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's crazy. He said, one, the guy's certifiable. He's crazy. Two, I mean, he comes in there and makes a big scene about wanting everything free because he's... You know, Jack, by God, Nicholson, and he'll bring people in, and you should just be happy he's there. Yeah. Uh, hey, Jack, do me a favor. Get out. Yeah. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. Right on. Well, I'm I'm getting hungry now, Todd. All this food. restaurant could do sous vide brisket. There you go, with mayonnaise. And then the next morning you could have... Uh, now, why on earth would anybody <laughs> do that? Just why? Uh, just for fun. It's like joking about putting a baby in a blender. Why? <laughs> you just don't do that. <laughs> no, you went too far. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, what was your idea for breakfast the next day? Oh, no, you, you have breakfast brisket and then the next day you have brisket tacos white people tacos yeah white people tacos 
or you're like breakfast poutines are good man you know you got nice if you get a good quality like nicely done french fry and then you like i've had a brisket poutine you know you got some shredded brisket on there and then you know got some gravy throw a couple of eggs on there oh my goodness cheese that'd be good stuff right there yes poutine hash browns for people who can't make hash browns yeah yeah well the uh so we have a place called oeb and uh it's kind of, it's a chain i don't know if it's like a franchise thing but there's a few i think there's three four of them in calgary three or four of them in uh edmonton actually they have a few now in in phoenix and las vegas but it started in calgary or edmonton in alberta anyways um but yeah, actually if you go online and look at their menu their breakfast poutines oh my goodness they are and and they're they're executed flawlessly uh, you know, Steph and I were there a couple of weeks ago and we actually sat fairly close. We sat where I had a view inside the kitchen and it was amazing to watch because for every single dish, there's at least two cooks working on it. Uh, like they're making an omelet. One guy cracks the eggs, the next guy adds a few things and they're literally standing side by side and they're working as a team. And so one person's doing this, the other person's grabbing these ingredients and then they have these drawers they pull out and then they add the mud and it's, it was like a machine and you go there and you order your your breakfast and i i think i don't think we've ever waited more than five minutes and it comes to you hot and it's delicious and it's executed just how you hoped it would be and man within a minute of of sitting down you've been chatted to they've you know given recommendations you've got your coffee steph had her latte her, her london fog and man that place is just the food is delicious the staff is excellent We've probably, probably been 10 or 15 times, and every time we come out, been like, that was a great experience. Like, I wish every restaurant was like this. And uh, they're actually only open till like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I think. All they do is breakfast and lunch. And, uh, man, I'm like, that, that, and it's busy. Like, if you go there, usually we go there at about like 7, 7.30. But if you get, even on a Saturday, if you get there at 8 o'clock in the morning, you're going to wait for about 20 minutes to get in. And it's man it is so good but those breakfast poutines man and they're big like they are large they uh if you have one of those for breakfast you do not need a lunch so good oh man no i gotta put the winter tires on my dad's truck today they're in phoenix and they asked isaiah my dad texted isaiah he's like would you be able to put the winter because he had some body work done to his truck and so uh, yeah i told you that and so it's been here and then they fly in on sunday and so i think we're just gonna go we'll meet him at the airport and drop off his vehicle but he's like asked isaiah if he could put the winter tires on for him and it's like isaiah's leaving today they're going on like a youth retreat and so i think i'll probably end up doing that later this afternoon i'm getting fast at it though man when you do like three vehicles every uh, fall and every spring, you you, you kind of get a system and you blip blip. It's getting smoother every time. I I think it takes me like maybe fifteen minutes to do them all. And I was doing them with my son on the car, and I was like, you know, I said I know people that pay one hundred and fifty bucks to have this done every single spring and every single fall. And he's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, yep. It's not difficult, and 
something anybody could do themselves. I get it. Some people just don't have any desire, but. But anywho. It's funny. I haven't had the volume indicators on my little uh, screen here the whole time. <laughs> I'm assuming it's recording mine because you can oh, hear no, me. I see yours. Oh, do you? Okay, good. Because usually the, the box, like I can see the box light up whether I'm talking, you're talking, and then I can see my volume indicator. I haven't had that the whole time here. but No, I've got all of that. Oh, okay, Weird. good. I figured if you can hear me, I'm sure it's recording it, so. Yeah. But anyway, anything else you want to hit for this show or? No, not really. I mean, I think we've tortured the audience long enough. Yep, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, I got to get to work, do some things, whatnot, whatnot, you know. But anywho, man, I'll... Oh, uh, yeah, real quick. They found a tractor. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's exciting. Southern Georgia. How far so, is that from you? Well, in hours, not that many, but in days... Is the the dealer it belongs to has two dealers, and he wants a tractor. This dealer has the one I'm using, uh, so he's like, "Hey, let me go get it from one of my dealers. You know, my other dealer. I go get it. It's down on, you know, near the southern border of Georgia, and then I'll just drive it up, and then pick up the one he wants from this dealer, and uh, so I'll have it. I don't know when I'll have it, but the dealer will have it middle of next week. Oh, well. And then they'll start so you, putting on the hydro kits and whatnot. Oh, wow. That so I'm you're going to have it like in a month or so? Probably within a month. Oh, right on. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> then I'm going to have to do what I threatened myself with doing. What's that? That stupid, hey, look, I just got a thing you can't afford video on YouTube. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> no, I was just and I'm actually my... thinking about doing a parody of all of those videos. Yeah, yeah. By saying, "Hey, look what I got! Yeah. Just got it." That's funny. I'm gonna do a video on YouTube because I got something that you can't even hope to begin to afford. <laughs> Stupid. Yeah. Like and subscribe. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. My life is better than yours. <laughs> Click to keep watching me. <laughs> like the guy that, I mean, I don't know if he's doing it as a joke, right? But he's got uh, two tractors, a the top model of Kubota uh, skid steer. He's got the <clears throat> second to the top. Mini excavator by Kubota. Um, just he's got two brand new one ton pickup trucks, and he's like, he's, he's, you know, everybody asks how I can afford this, you know, blah 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 blah, and he just dances around it, right? Hmm. So last week he starts saying, yeah, I need a F five fifty dump truck now, and he's looking for brand new ones. Hmm. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. That's crazy. I mean, the guy, cra- you, 
his real job used to be uh, on a blasting team for like highways, power plant, heavy oh, construction. Okay, yeah. So he's not poor. Yeah, yeah. Huh. That's I know a guy. I used to know a guy. I, I, it's impossible to know him now. Um, he uh, he died on an industrial accident, but he was he was a blaster. Um, he was a supervisor on a blasting team, and uh, it's so funny because you know he did that for like forty years, mm-hmm. and how he died was they were blasting in a on the side of a mountain for a highway and he was he was just out there looking at the job right with one of the uh rock engineers right mm-hmm. and it was still a little snowy a little icy and one of the bulldozers started sliding sideways nobody saw it and it just oh, no. ran them both <laughs> over sideways what a bummer way to go Ugh. Yay, yay. Hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, his, and his wife is all like, 40 years of playing with dynamite. <laughs> yeah. Gets run over. By, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, hmm. well. Yep. Right on. Well, man, if you get there, you enjoy those lobster rolls. <clears throat> That sounds like a nice way to kick off a weekend. Yeah, I'm kind of worried about it, though, because every time we've gone someplace, people around here say, oh, that's the best thing in the world. I'd rather eat dirt. Really? That's too bad. That's annoying, right? And you kind of learn certain people you can take uh, recommendations from and people that you can't. What I've learned (laughs) is no one around here I can take any recommendations from at all. Yeah. Yeah. There's no kidding. The number one voted burger joint here. Number one, and it's not mm-hmm. just by public, it's by critics. Went there, it's literal. You can look at it and tell this is gray frozen patties. Hmm. Y'all That's can't gross. do any better than that. That's gross. Huh. Well, hopefully you're, hopefully it works out for you guys, hey? Yeah. It was a $100 lobster roll. Is that how much they are? No. It's a hundred yeah, bucks, like a pound for a kit. Okay. But uh, lobster roll is probably thirty bucks. Oh well, yeah, I guess that's a it's not a cheap meat. But right on, man. Well, you guys have yourself a good week and a good week next week. Yeah, you too. And, uh, and yeah, thanks for our listeners, and we'll see you guys all next week. Yeah, hope this makes your ears bleed. Bye. <laughs>